So this morning, we're going to talk about obedience. How many is, is that everybody's favorite word in this room? Obedience. You know what? Here in America, in the United States particularly, but I imagine uh, that with the generation we're in, it's kind of all across the world, but obedience, it's just kind of a taboo word. Nobody wants to hear that they have to do what they're told. Nobody wants to, to hear that they have to listen to what somebody has to say. Because what we're taught our whole lives, that we need to grow up and be our own men and women. We have to make decisions for ourselves and we always have to, you know, if we, if we listen to what, if we let somebody else tell us what to do, we're showing some sort of sign of weakness. You know, we're also starting to see that if somebody is, is someone who expects obedience, then they're called or looked down on. Because you can't tell somebody what to do without having people look at you as, as like you're out of your mind. We're actually starting to see it a lot if we look at uh, parents and their children nowadays. Because children should be obedient to their parents. But nowadays parents are, are doing everything that they can to become their child's friend instead of their parent. And instead of requiring obedience, instead of directing them how to live their lives, they try to become their best friend. And we're seeing kids that are growing up that are just absolutely out of control. They have no discipline in their lives. They, they have no respect for anybody. They, they think that I am who I want to be. And unfortunately, in today's society, there's people that would take advantage of the position that they've been getting, given, and they'd require obedience in areas which have no right to require obedience. We've actually seen that in the church as well, and it's an unfortunate thing. But today I want to take a moment to look at obedience from a biblical perspective. Look at what it means to be obedient, and look at what the real outcome and benefits to being obedient are. I know in my life I first began to see the importance of obedience when I joined the military. For those who don't know, I was uh, joined the Army right out of high school. I was in the Army Reserve for, for uh, about four years in the regular reserves, another four in an active ready reserves. But I uh, went to basic training and did all the stuff there. And to be honest with you, I'd been subject to obedience my whole life. My, ex, uh, my stepdad, when I was in high school, kind of kept me in check. And he would require obedience. You know, it's funny. It, the, the word has has so ingrained awkwardness and tabooness in our society, even just repeating the word over and over as I'm preaching it this morning. It almost feels weird just saying the word, like, like, oh, he required obedience. There's something wrong with that. But I remember my my stepfather, he would require obedience, and I was getting in trouble all the time. And I was getting grounded in trouble, and I remember I hated him for it. Because before he came around, I was getting away with everything. And I was angry, I was upset, I didn't understand why I was constantly getting in trouble, even though the decisions I were making were mine. I didn't understand why he was requiring these things of me, it didn't make any sense. And I just got mad. Now in retrospect, I look back at my life and I'm so thankful that he was in my life requiring me to live as an upstanding man and not just doing whatever I want and getting away with whatever I want because my life would be so much different today if I would have been allowed to do whatever I wanted. I would be in a much worse situation. I, I don't know what would have happened to me. I would have got into drugs a whole lot worse. I would have got into all those things. But he required obedience. And in retrospect, I'm so thankful he was a part of my life. 
But before then, I didn't get it. So then I joined the military right out of high school, and I began to see that obedience wasn't just a good idea, but it was actually a matter of life and death. Particularly in the military, it's a matter of life and death. If you didn't obey the instructions for gun safety, somebody could get hurt, somebody could get shot. When you're in the army, they're not handing out blanks most of the time. You're out there with live ammo. You're, you're on the ranges. You're doing these different things. And if you're not obeying their instructions, somebody could get shot and killed. If you didn't obey the instructions to clean your rifle the way that they want, oh, cleaning your rifle was miserable. Because if anybody's ever shot a rifle, you know that gunpowder and residue gets everywhere on the gun, and when you clean it, it's actually not very easy to get every last little bit. It's quite difficult. And we'd be there with our M16s. You take them fully apart, and you're in there with the Q-tip trying to get out all the little nooks and crannies, and they would check it with a white glove. And they would check it with Q-tips. And if they saw any residue on it, then you were back. I mean, we would spend like entire eight-hour days cleaning our rifles, trying to get them to where they were supposed to be. And you're like, what the heck is your problem? But the truth is, if you don't keep a rifle clean and you're relying on it in battle, it could jam, it could do these things, and it could cost you or somebody else their life if your rifle wasn't working correctly. Another thing that we did that I always thought was so weird how meticulous that we had to obey the instructions was how to put your gas mask into the container that you wore on the side of your hip. You wore a, It was just a, a knapsack-looking thing with your gas mask in it. But you rolled it up and you stored it in a specific way so that when, if you were hit by gas, you could get it out quickly, get it on your face and clear it and have it on so you weren't affected by what you were hit with. And you learn real quick the first time that they, they threw tear gas at you, which they do when you're in, in the Army, they test you with it. You learn real quick that if you didn't do it right, you're taking in a, a, a huge lungsful of this stuff. And it's, if anybody's ever uh, not had the opportunity I would recommend you just pass. It's not a whole lot of fun if you're given the opportunity. But, uh, yeah, there's a reason why they told you to do it that way. I remember when we were doing hand grenade training. They, they let you use live hand. Can you imagine letting a bunch of people, kids just out of high school, use live hand grenades? But they did. They trained us, and we used them. And if you didn't follow the instructions, it could cost somebody their life. You see, obedience wasn't a bad thing in the military. The obedience wasn't required to put people down and to, to tear them apart. Well, maybe a little in the beginning, and they're trying to, to remove the civilian out of you. So they tear you down, and they build you back up. But even after they build you back up into a soldier, obedience is always required. And it's not to put their thumb on you. It's not to control you, but it's to make sure that the military runs efficiently and lives are not lost. And the same is true in the church. God requires obedience. And our obedience to God and our obedience to our leaders in the church will make the difference in an effective and an ordered local church or a chaotic one. And truthfully, our obedience, your obedience, is going to lead to the saving of your life as well as to the salvation of many others. So let's go ahead and get, get into the Word this morning. In Deuteronomy 11.1 1, it says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. 
This is in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is addressing the people of Israel. And it's sometime shortly after he, he went up with the, the Ten Tablets, you know, he got the Ten Commandments, came back down, saw the, the people acting a fool, got angry and broke the tablets. Went back up to the mountain. God says, all right, carve out the stone yourself this time. So he carves it out. God rewrites the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets and he's addressing the people. And he says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God, keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. You know, the, the, the command of the Bible is that we would obey God, obey what he has to say. And it's not the first time that Moses was telling his people this. In Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, it says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. There's a couple things we can see there. One, we find out that the commandments of the Lord are for our good. God's not trying to keep you down, but it's for your good. And we see that it's repeated many times. And when we see stuff repeated in Scripture, how many know it's probably a good idea to pay attention to it? The importance of the topic causes it to be repeated. And truthfully, as we'll see, this commandment to obey our God I was looking up scriptures that dealt with this and there's no way I could cover everything probably in a week of sermons. But it's repeated because it's important. Peter and Paul said this when they would repeat stuff to the people that they were teaching. In Philippians 3.1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble and it is safe for you. To write the same things for you. It's no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. It's good to hear these things again because they're important. Second Peter 1.13 says, I think it right as long as I am this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And then in his next letter that he wrote to them in 2 Peter 3, 1, it says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Things that are important for us to take heed of, we're reminded of repeatedly in Scripture because they make a difference in our life. And we're going to say this, see the same thing not only in the Old Testament, but we see it in the New Testament. And this is Jesus speaking. He says in John fourteen fifteen, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is saying, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Which obviously rises the, the thoughts to our mind if we're not keeping His commandments. Do we really love Him? Or, or do we really love Him if we're doing whatever we want? And this is not, this is not Jesus trying to manipulate us. This is not Jesus doing like we would say, Oh honey, if, if you loved me, you'd let me go to the baseball game. Oh honey, if, if you loved me, you'd, you'd let me go get my hair done. Or you'd let me do this. You'd let me do this. This is not Jesus trying to manipulate us. You know, sometimes love is used to manipulate. But Jesus here is just stating the reality of the situation. When you love somebody, especially the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, when you love somebody, you listen to them. You know, an example that shows that is, how many here make your kids wear seatbelts? Or put them in the car seats? We've all done that? Why do you do that? 
for their safety, right? I mean, no, the truth is it's the law that you have to do that, right? It's the law, right? But none of us do it because it's the law. We do it because we love our children. We do it because we want them to be safe. We are obeying the law because of love. And the same is true with Jesus. We obey the law. We obey Him because we love Him. You know, and sometimes the truth is is that obedience for no other reason that we love Him can get us out of sticky situations. Let me read you a story here. He says, My friend's father, an army sergeant, tried for 25 years to quit smoking. After multiple failed attempts, he went in for his yearly medical exam with an army doctor. The physician told him that his health was being severely harmed by smoking and that he should stop. And the sergeant confessed he knew he should stop. And in a tone of despair, he related his multiple attempts to stop smoking over many years. And the physician looked at him and said, What are these two bars on my lapel? And the sergeant replied, you mean you're a captain? He said, yes, said the captain. And they also mean that I outrank you, and I'm giving you a direct order to stop smoking. And my friend's father went home and never smoked another cigarette. He could not quit on his own even after years of trying, but he could quit when he understood the power of a direct order from a superior officer. He was thoroughly indoctrined by the United States Army and not willing to violate an order. As believers in Christ, our commander-in-chief has given us many commands in the New Testament. And when we take them as seriously as this sergeant took his order to quit smoking, we'll be surprised at how God can transform our lives. You know, sometimes, even when all the reasons are good, when all the evidence is sound that we should do a thing, the command of God, the command of the God that we love, can get us over that hump to push past those areas. Just by being obedient, we'll have victory in so many areas of our lives. Then Jesus, on another occasion, He says, in John fifteen fourteen through 15 He says, You are My friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from My Father I have made known to you. You know, the truth is that when we gave our lives to Jesus, when you got up and you, you, you said that prayer, you gave your life to Him and you received Him as your Lord and Savior. He's not just our Savior, but He's our Lord. And when we, we declared and voluntarily submitted our lives to Him, and when we don't do what He says, when we don't obey His commandments, we're basically living in hypocrisy. We call Him Lord and do what we want. And we become the, the reason that stereotypes of Christians are, are running rampant across this country. But you know what? We're not, he's not just our Lord. He's also our friend. Jesus said that you are my friends if you do what I command you. Not only is our Lord, but He's our, our friend as well. And the difference between a servant, as He explains, is that you know what a servant does what they're told because they're told. They don't have a choice. They don't need to know the information. They just need to do it because they were told. But God is our friend. Jesus is our friend. And he says, you know what? I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my Father. I've made known to you. 
He's not keeping things from us. He explains, if you read the Scriptures, you understand why He's asking us to do things. And ultimately, everything that we're asked to do is for freedom and victory in our lives and freedom and victory in other people's. Amen? So, it's clear in Scripture, and these were just a few of them, but if you go through the Scriptures that we are commanded to obey all through the Bible. And it's clear that we are too, but what does this look like? What does it look like to obey? In Second John 1, 5-6, it says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Walking in love is what we were commanded to do by Jesus. And to walk in love is to keep His commandments. The two are inseparable. They link together. The command is to walk in love, but to walk in love is to obey His commandments. Do you guys remember how Jesus responded when He was asked what are the greatest commandments of God? In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40 it says, Teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. If we walk in love, if we love one another and we love God, and if we live our lives where those two things influence everything that we do, everything that we say, how we live our lives, then we are going to be obeying every law that God gave. If we love God and we love other people, we're not going to do things that are harmful to them. We're not going to do things that are harmful to Him. Jesus also commanded that we love one another explicitly. He came out and said this in John thirteen thirty four. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. We're supposed to love each other with the same fervor, with the same intensity, with the same passion that Jesus loved us. You know what? Jesus died for us. Are you willing to die for your brothers and sisters in this room? That's the kind of love that we should be walking in. And like I said earlier, love and obedience are eternally tied together. Because when we love others, we're obeying God. And when we walk in love, we are obeying God. And when, we are, <clears throat> and when we are obeying God, we are demonstrating our love for Him. They're eternally tied together. Love and obedience. Therefore, if you take a step back and look at it, obedience is actually an act of worship. It's an act of honoring our God. I was speaking to uh, Michelle's cousin the other day, and he's a pastor, and and we were talking about areas in our lives where we've had victory when we got saved in areas that took a while, and he was describing one. He said, you know, I had a lot of difficulty in this area in my life, and so I began to speak to this this pastor, his, his pastor, his mentor, and he said, you know what? You need to understand that obedience is an act of worship. When we obey God, we're not doing it just because it's the right thing to do, just because He said so. 
But when we do it, we're actually showing Him love. We are, we are worshiping Him in our obedience. And I know that when I finally realized that even, even now I'm starting to gain victory in areas where, where there had been struggle before, just realizing that when I honor God, when I obey God, I'm actually honoring Him. I'm, I'm worshiping Him. I'm showing Him love. And it's another way, just like sitting up and singing in front, when we get together and we sing and worship together, when we give our offering, this is another way that we can honor God, is by obeying His Word for us. Amen? And then in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, we learn that we need to take every <laughs> though captive, every thought captive. <laughs> I guess I missed that making the slide. <laughs> it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to what? To obey Christ. If we want to successfully be obedient to God, we need to get control of our mind. We need to take our thoughts captive and not let them run away from us. If you let your thoughts run away unchecked, you'll find out that your mind will end up in places that you couldn't even imagine. You're like, how did I get there? Let me ask you this. Have you ever laid in bed at night and you begin to pray? And the next thing you know, your mind's gone to that one point when you worked for Frito-Lay and you accidentally walked in on the manager while they, where they were in the bathroom. Well, that, that was probably just me. That actually happened to me. <laughs> but the ideas sound, right? You lay in bed. That, yeah, that actually happened to me. I was working at a quick mark, <laughs> came to deliver the stuff and had to use the restroom. So I walked in the back and opened the door and there was the lady manager using the restroom with the door unlocked. It's a little bit embarrassing when you have to go back to that place every week. You're like, I swear I didn't do it on purpose. Oh. But have you ever had your thoughts run away from you like that? And you're like, how, how did I get here? And then you start running your thoughts backward in your head and you realize you're praying like the six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon. You know how they say that, that you can take any movie and you can, you can connect it within six movies by touching actors and, and movies together all the way back to, to Kevin Bacon. Every movie you can do it. I've actually never seen one that can't be done. But the six degrees of separation, you start following your thoughts back because they ran unchecked and you're like, how did I get here? I was laying, praying for somebody to have wholeness in their body and now I'm at this weird thing. How did I get here? It's because we don't take our thoughts captive. We let them run away and do what they want to do. So the question remains then, how do we keep them captive? How do we take care of this when our thoughts begin to run away? Well, one uh, thing that I can tell you to do while you're praying, if you don't want your thoughts to run away, pray out loud. I found that when I pray out loud, I'm much more focused on praying than when I do other things. Because inevitably, when I lay down and, and pray before I go to bed at night, if I don't pray out loud, or I'm not real focused, next thing you know, I'm thinking about what happened during the day, or what I'm going to do tomorrow instead of continuing in prayer. Also, in Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are on this earth. If we keep our minds focused on God, on His kingdom, then we're going to be able to keep our mind in the right place. And second, if the wrong thoughts do show up, you need to kick them out. 
If stuff's coming into your head that's not supposed to be there, don't let it stay. The old saying is that you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from making a nest. Don't let the thoughts that come into your brain take control. Kick them out and replace them intentionally with thoughts that are of God and His kingdom. Amen? Next we see Scriptures about obeying your leaders. In Hebrews 13.17 it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And those who will have to give an, as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In Colossians 3.22 it says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Obedience is not just something that we show to God, but it's also something that we show to our leaders. And it's not only in the church, but it's also in our secular world as well. When you go to work, we need to be obedient to our bosses, to those who have charge over us. And the truth is, as a pastor, preaching on Hebrews thirteen seventeen is always awkward. You know, it's, I, I don't want to stand up here and, and make it sound like I'm just trying to lay the law down so you guys have to do what I say. That being said, I'm going to need everybody to uh, take out the trash when we're done, and uh, I'm going to need somebody to pull weeds in the front yard after the service, and if you have any questions, refer to Hebrews 13, 17. <laughs> no, but it, it, it is awkward when we preach on this, because it's like I'm, in my back of my head, I'm like, are people just thinking I'm up here trying to get them to listen to me? But the truth is, I didn't make this up. I'm not the one that wrote it. And the real reason that a pastor gives instruction to his flock, the real reason that the pastor is looking for obedience, it's not for his glory, it's not for his lifting up, it's not so that he can feel like he has power, but it's because we care about you, and we love you, and we want the best for your life, spiritually and otherwise. And that's the reason why we, you might be <clears throat> taken aside by a pastor and talked to, because we want to to do this, to, to lead you, to guide you, to make sure that you are l- growing as you should, that means that sometimes we have to pull you aside and, and lift you up and encourage you and tell you how awesome you're doing, but sometimes it means that we have to take you aside and, and give you the spanking you deserve. Just like we do with our kids. Sometimes you've got to lift them up, sometimes you've got to put them over your knee. And either way, it's the goal so that, that they will grow and become stronger and be lifted up. The truth is that the Scripture says that we're watching over your souls and we're going to give an account. If you go to a church where, where the leadership is only there to, to make you feel better about yourselves, they're going to give an account for that. And that's why the Scripture says that let them do this with joy and not with growing, groaning. Basically, do your end of it so that they don't have to be burdened and they don't have to feel bad and don't make them feel bad in those things. I always have to remember this from my life as well because I'm not the top level of authority either. I have people that I'm in under authority to as well. And then he goes on to say that in our, our regular lives, our earthly masters, we needed to do the same thing. We need to be obedient to our earthly masters. Because the truth is, we're not working for them, but we're working for God in everything that we do. That's why he says, 
Don't just do it by way of eye service or people pleasers. Don't just do it in front of people, but always be obedient to them. Always work hard. Always do it with a sincere heart and a fearing of the Lord. Be in awe of the Lord while you're doing these things. And we need to be obedient to them in so much as they're not being in contradiction with the Word of God. If your boss tells you you need to steal something, then you're more than, you're more than good to say, sorry, I can't do that. But if it's the day-to-day business, we need to be obedient to those who are in charge over us. And the reason being is that we're a light to the world. And we shine brightly when we're obedient to those who are in charge of us, when we're doing the right thing. But we are dragging the name of Christ through the mud when we do things that are poor, when we say we're a Christian and don't live like one. Amen? And the truth is that blessing is not all about us submitting to a a cold and hard God who's got his thumb over the top of us trying to make us do what he wants because he gets some sort of kick out of it. But the truth is that when we're obedient, we are blessed. In James 1.25 it says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all His doing. When we're obedient to the Word of God, we're going to be blessed. You know, sometimes the world has this inclination to think that God is this, this uh, old guy, Bahamba guy up in the sky who is just trying to steal all of our fun. He's trying to, to make it so our Saturday nights are just boring taken away everything that's fun for us because man if you're a christian you just can't have any more fun but the truth is that the reason why that that god has commanded us not to do certain things was not so that we wouldn't have so that we'd have less fun or we wouldn't have any fun is because those things are, are are better for us they make our lives better and when we do those things that we're not supposed to it actually damage us damages us inside we don't get drunk not because it's it's not fun or it's fun and God wants to take away that fun, but we don't do it because you become inebriated. You lose control of what you're doing and, and that can lead to all kinds of things that you will regret and can cause damage in your life. Sometimes permanent damage physically or emotionally. Ask some of these teachers that went out got drunk and, and had their picture taken and it somehow got up on Facebook and now they don't, no longer have a job. We're also told to keep the marriage bed pure because God does not, and it's not because God just doesn't want us having sex. The truth is that God created sex for all of us to enjoy within a marriage covenant. If you read your Bible, sex came before the fall. It was there before Adam and Eve made that mistake. God created it for us to enjoy, to have. But the reason why we're not to do it outside of the marriage bed is not, not because He wants our, our weekends to, to be no fun and, and man, it, it must be good, so that's why God doesn't want us to do it. But it's because that when you have sex with somebody, you're joined together with them. With them. It's a spiritual thing. The Bible says that two become one in that instance. And how many know that when two things become one, you can't separate them again without causing damage? The reason why we don't do that, we remain pure in those areas, because damage gets done. We're instructed not to lie, not to steal, not to cheat, not to murder, to do drugs, to sleep around, all of these things because of the damage that it causes 
Not because God wants to ruin our fun. And the opposite is true as well. When we are obedient to God, we are blessed beyond all that we can imagine. In Luke 11, 27-28, it says, As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. This is some lady talking to Jesus saying that, Man, you're awesome. Your mom must be really awesome. And he, but Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Our blessing comes from being obedient. Our blessing comes, you know, when we do the right things, God moves in our lives in ways that we cannot imagine. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When we're obedient to God, He's also going to direct your steps. He's going to make sure that you're on the right path, you're going the right way, that He's going to fulfill what God has called for your life. You know, you can have the, the best GPS in the world, but if you don't listen to that little lady's voice saying, turn left in 10 feet, Turn left in nine feet. Turn left in eight feet. If you don't listen, you're not going to get to where you're going. It doesn't matter how good the GPS is. And I know that there's been times that my GPS didn't make any sense. Have you ever had your GPS going and you're like, that can't be the right way? Anybody ever had that happen? And then I'm like, you know what? I know better than my GPS. I'm going to do it my way. And the next thing you know, 15 minutes down the road, I'm like, I'm sorry, put the address in again, and I've got to follow it to where I'm going. And all I did was waste a bunch of time. Yeah. <laughs> you should have turned left in eight feet. <laughs> God has a plan for our lives. And if we'll seek Him, if we'll follow, us, follow His instructions and His leading, He's going to take us where He intends us to go. But we have to trust Him. The Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. We have to trust Him and realize that God is trustworthy. That's one thing I recognize is that no one's ever going to listen to God if they don't trust He is who He says He is and He'll do what He says He'll do. I'm really having a hard time trying to look at you guys and look down at my notes and get my eyes to work. Ugh. <laughs> You know, our God is trustworthy. And if you will place your trust in Him, you're never going to be disappointed. And the truth is, is that we, we get ourselves into trouble when we decide that, that we know better than God. He says, do not lean on your own understanding. <clears throat> Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 8, 2-3, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. If anybody imagines he knows something, you do not yet know as you ought to know. Basically, when you think you got it figured out that you don't need God, you got problems. But the truth is, if we love God, God knows us. He loves us. And if we'll let Him drive, He'll ensure that we get to where we're going. He's going to make sure that our paths are straight. He's going to make sure that we have healing in our flesh and refreshment in our bones. What that means is that not only are you going to have healing, but you're going to have the energy you need to do what you need to have done. He's going to make sure that you're refreshed and ready to go. 
In Luke 5, 4-6, through 6, it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. You know, I find this an interesting story, because one, Jesus is calling out to Peter, <clears throat> Simon Peter, and he says, put out your nets one more time, but do it on the other side. And now, we have Peter saying, you know what? I'm a fisherman. I've been doing this my whole life. I've been out here all night. I think I know what's going on. But I almost, and I don't, I don't know if I'm reading into this or not, but I, I can almost see this like, all right, if you say so, we'll go ahead and do it. At your word, I'll go ahead and let down the nets. And he lets down the nets, and what does he find out? That they bring in so much stuff that their nets were actually breaking. They were obedient to God. And in this case, let's be honest, it doesn't make any sense. They've been out there all night. They've been doing their thing. They're professional fishermen, and they're not catching anything. They're getting ready to call it a day, and Jesus says, no, I'll just try it one more time on the other side. It doesn't make any sense. But they go ahead and they're obedient to what God has to say. And they bring in a catch like they've never done before. You know, what would have happened if they wouldn't have listened? They would have missed out. If they weren't obedient to God, they would have missed out on such a huge blessing in their life. I've recently been challenged by a scripture that I was reading the other day, and it's in Matthew 5, 38-42, and it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And the reason I was challenged with this is because I've always been one that is leery of those who are, who are begging for money on the side of the street. I've always been kind of leery. And the reason that I have that inside of me is because when I was in high school, I worked at uh, a Denny's. I was a cook at a Denny's. And if you've ever seen Denny's, I think most of them are still like that. It's an open kitchen, so you can see out into the, uh, into the dining room. So I was leaving Walmart. And there's this guy on the side of the, the road coming out of Walmart. This is in Sierra Vista. And he had a sign-up, you know, said he needed food. He didn't have anything, so I gave him five bucks. No big deal. Then I went to work that night, and I look out the, the window, and there at the little bar area, the guy had ordered, like, a T-bone steak and shrimp and the super expensive meal and all this stuff, and then he tipped the, waiter, the server really good. And I felt like that I had been taken advantage of because... He wasn't using what I'd given him wisely. You know, he was just, I mean, if, if, you, ha- if you have no home, if you have no money, why wouldn't you go buy something that's going to last you longer instead of spending it all on this? I mean, really. And I, I, I was really upset by that because I felt like he was taking advantage of the situation. And I've heard many other stories of, 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 of homeless people that do do that. They take advantage of people. And I've become very leery. So usually, unless I have a very clear leading of the Holy Spirit, I don't give. Now, my wife's totally opposite. She used to uh, carry little bags of, of food and water, and everyone she saw, she gave something to. But it's just, it wasn't my heart. I was very leery of it. 
And then I read this scripture the other day, and God began to speak to me through it. And it says, you remember there in, uh, in the last verse, it says, give to the one who begs from you. And what he showed me is that as I read through those scriptures that are there together, that story together, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone <clears throat> would sue you and take you to it, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And the next line is, give to one who begs from you. And I began to realize that every story in that little parable was people taking advantage of somebody else. I said, if somebody wants to hit you, give them your, let them do it again. If they want to sue you and take your coat, give them your, tunic, give them your jacket as well. If they want to, basically, if they're coming to take advantage of you, do even more to give to them. And God basically said to me, it doesn't matter if they're taking advantage of you. Be generous. Show them Christ's love. So wouldn't you know, the very next day, God gives me an opportunity. <laughs> so Michelle sends me to Fry's after work. I needed to pick something up. She was sick. And, and uh, as I'm walking in, I see this guy on the and sitting in front of Fry's, and he's got his hat out. He's trying to get some money, and and instantly I'm you know skeptical. That's just because of of what has happened in my life and my experience. I'm always skeptical of people that are doing this. And God reminded me, you know, <coughs> give to the one who begs. So I went in and and spent like four bucks on a fried chicken meal, at a, in Fry's. I came back out and I walked out and said, "Are you hungry?" And he he almost didn't catch what I was saying. Was, I think he was shocked. And he says, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, I." I got something here for you. He's like, oh, what's in there? I said, I got you chicken and, and all this stuff. And, you know, he said, thank you. And he, he went and shook my hand, and, and that was about it. And as I was driving away, I looked over, and I saw him eating the food. And I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know if he was taking advantage or not. But I recognized that I felt awesome. I was so blessed in that experience that I had the opportunity to, one, be a blessing to somebody else, but at the same time, I was blessed beyond imagine, you know, more than I could even imagine because I was obedient to God. Sure, it may cost me four bucks, but the blessing in my life and his can't be compared to something like that. And truthfully, four bucks is nothing compared to anything. But the blessing that I received because I was obedient was amazing. And it was something that doesn't make sense to me. Just like here, it didn't make sense to Simon Peter, but he, he was obedient and he was blessed beyond all he, can, he could imagine. And I know the same will be true for everyone in this room if we're obedient to what God has for our life. In Luke 5, 20-25, it says, And when he saw their faith, and he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question your hearts, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Now this is an interesting story for a lot of reasons, but one, Jesus is ministering in this house. They can't get the guy in on this bed, so they rip open the roof, drop the guy down into the roof, 
And Jesus looks at this guy who just ripped the roof open. He obviously can't walk. Obviously there for healing. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Which is probably, I wonder if the guy's like, wait a minute. That's not what I came here for. I want to walk. But then we got the Pharisees that are like, who are you to forgive sins? Which I find interesting because back then it was easier for them to have faith for healing than faith for the forgiveness of sins. But today it's completely opposite. We have faith for the forgiveness of sins, but oftentimes we struggle much more with faith for healing. But then he says to this man, rise, get up, and walk. He says, pick up your bed and go home. This is a direct command from Jesus. Now, if you're this guy who's been paralyzed probably your whole life, you can't walk, and somebody walks up to you and says, rise, get up and walk, what do you think is going to run through your head? Newsflash, I can't walk. But instead, the guy was obedient. Jesus said to get up and walk, so he got up and walked. And the same is true in our life. There are some things in our lives that that we're living that have paralyzed us in our lives. It could be fear. It could be any number of things. But Jesus is speaking to you, and sometimes you just need to get up, pick up your bed, and walk away. Amen? In Luke 6, 46-49, he says, Did I skip one? No, okay. In Luke 6, 46-49, 46 through 49, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now he starts this off by saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You know, if we're going to call Jesus the Lord of our lives, we need to be obedient to what he has to say for our lives. And it has nothing to do with Jesus wanting to control and manipulate your life. But it's because when you're obedient to his word, then your life is built on a foundation that cannot be torn down. And when we don't obey what Jesus has for our lives and we're disobedient to God. We're just setting ourselves up to be ripped apart, to be torn down. Our foundation is like the sand and when the water comes in it erodes away and our life is torn apart when we're not obedient. Obedience is not about God's control but it's always for our benefit. There is strength, there is protection, there is endurance in being obedient. Hearing His Word, doing it, obeying His commandments, it allows us to build our house on a firm foundation that is protected from every type of flood and storm that would come into our lives. And the truth is, the floods are going to come regardless of where you build your house. The floods are going to come whether you're being obedient or whether you're not. So let's be a people who are going to choose to hear His Word, to do it, to Be obedient to God so that our house is built on a firm foundation. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand on our feet.